Hello, and welcome back to the ABCs to Live Your Dope Life. My name is Marin McHugh, and I'm excited to share this next episode with you with my friend, Natalie St. Hilaire. Natalie joined me on uh, in season one as well, and we circled back to catch up and dive into uh, what some might think is a very difficult and awkward conversation. Um, we are two white girls and we're gonna talk about race and social injustice and oppression and marginalization. And, you know, we, uh, we both do give that caveat at the beginning that we are very humble in recognizing that obviously we are, are not uh, people of color and um, we can only know as much as what we are capable of knowing. And um, we're both very open to feedback and resources or insights, anything that you wanna share. If, if either one of us does anything that is uh, a microaggression or something that just seems naive, uh, you know, we, we're, um, we're not perfect and we're very, um, I think we're, we're both very open to understanding that uh, we're gonna make mistakes in this and uh, we're still willing to, to move our way through it and to learn and be better and, and do more in this conversation. So we begin this episode with some pranayam and Natalie leads us through it and gives us lots of cues on, on what we're doing and, and then we follow a metronome pace to experience the, the pranayam. So I left it in the episode because I, I thought that at least some of you would be interested in, in doing the, the practice yourself. And it's also very grounding. So it'd be a great thing to do before you know, being still and, and listening to this conversation that we have afterwards. So that's really like the first 10 or so minutes of the episode. Now, another thing that I wanted to bring up before we just get into this episode is I, I do a disservice in, in this episode by my inability to articulate the, the power and beauty of this man, Victor Lee Lewis. When I brought him up in our conversation, my mind went blank. I was trying to describe you know, what his titles are, who he is, and I unfortunately hadn't refreshed my memory um, before and and so I, I couldn't speak intelligently um, or what he deserved to um, to have next to his name so I wanted to open that up again and give a little bit of insight into this so Victor Lee Lewis is the founder and director of the Radical Resilience Institute and Radical Resilience Coaching and Consulting so he is a progressive life coach, a trainer, a speaker, and a social justice educator. Victor provides individual and group life coaching, training, and keynote lectures. His work supports transformative change agents in improving and maximizing their emotional resilience, mental flexibility, and personal performance and effectiveness. Victor brings a unique social, socially progressive vision to the work of personal growth personal empowerment, and emotional health. This is the fruit of his 30 plus years search for personal healing and social justice, and nearly as many years of innovating practice in using liberatory educational approaches to bring healing and justice to others. 
So this is part of his uh, bi biography on the Radical Resilience Institute website. So I've included that in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself. Uh, so forgive me when we get to that point um, when I stumble. Uh, I was trying to think of the word he used the, um, in the course or the workshop I attended online of his. He was referring to himself as the optimist activist. Uh, and I couldn't get the word activist into my brain when I was recording this. I kept thinking anarchist. I'm like, no, it's not that. And so I just stumbled through it. So I apologize. It's gonna be a little awkward, but I hope that, um, you know, that gave you some insight into who this amazing man is and that you will look him up and, and see what he's up to in this world. All right. Well, that's it. Without further ado, let's dive in. And just start by explaining the panya. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, the thing about we'll do four rounds. Okay. It's going to take a minute though. Okay. Four rounds is a lot. Um, the other part that I just want to keep in mind because you know Uyana Banda and Lula Banda, mm -hmm. you want to engage Uyana and Lula Banda mm -hmm. on the exhale. Okay. Now that might be hard to catch the first time it's the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're because what you do is like you hold the breath out and you squeeze up and in at the same time okay which is a hard thing because when you're holding your breath out you kind of feel like you've pushed everything out mm -hmm. so you're going to reverse that okay and squeeze everything in after you've exhaled or as you're exhaling okay got it got so we're engaging on the exhale versus just relaxing on the exhale yeah, and hugging in and up. Um, really, the old time yogis would say, like, you're actually trying to reverse the direction of your creative energy mm -hmm. so that it lifts up and towards the head. Yeah. Instead of out of the body. Yeah. Okay. So it's a breath retention and then a reversal of the creative energy. Okay. So, um, you know, the classical holding of your hands mm -hmm. like this. So you use your right hand generally, use your thumb and your or finger and that'll be over the nostrils. Oh, um, and so the way that the pattern will go is we'll do an ujjayi breath in and out. Mm -hmm. Then you're gonna breathe in through your right nostril for five, okay. hold for five, breath in. Mm -hmm. Then you breathe out for 10, mm -hmm. hold for five. Okay. Then you do an ujjayi breath, and then you're going to go on to the left side, Okay. and you'll breathe in for five, hold for five, mm -hmm. breathe out for ten, hold for five, yeah. ujjayi okay. breath. That's mm -hmm. one round. Okay. So it takes a minute, Yeah. and I will, I use a metronome because or else I count really fast mm -hmm. on the exhales. Yeah. So by the time you get to that retention on the last one, mm -hmm. um, you're really going to be in, the, and that's when you have to roll up on it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so maybe can I watch you do one round? Yeah. And I'll kind of mimic it without yeah. actually fully doing it yet. Okay. So. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
Thank you. 
Pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Feels a little bit like getting high. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting in the practice that I've been doing with the breath retention is to make sure that after holding the breath, that I can my next inhale is not a which is really hard. Yeah, right. It's really hard. So I'm not good at that. No, but that's that's part of it. Is um because otherwise you kind of are reversing what happened with the retention. Mm, so what I try to do is, you know, when I'm holding my breath is to bring my hand down onto my belly. 
kind of put a little bit of pressure so that when I take that next breath in, it kind of forces me to, to breathe in slow versus my body just being like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. That stuff is like crazy. By the time I get to the inhale, I'm like, no, please. <laughs> and do you usually do three rounds like that? Is that your typical practice? Did we do three? I thought we did four. Um, maybe we did four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, actually, I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I do eight. Um, I've been doing eight. But I don't know why. Like, I don't have the answer to like what breath work is really appropriate for what person and what situation. Mm -hmm. situation. I think that's kind of like asking what asana is appropriate for what person and what situation. Mm -hmm. We have to be like, in the experiment of it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've been reading a lot of like Iyengar, um, like I'm Pranayama, mm -hmm. um, and um, Devika Shar, his book on Pranayama, um, and trying to understand the origins mm -hmm. of the breath work mm -hmm. and, and what these people know about it. But at the end of the day, um, there's only two ways to get this sort of ancient yogic wisdom, and one is to um, have direct contact with the sages and mm -hmm. to have studied with somebody who is um, like deeply like so. A. Angar and Devakachar are come from Krishnamacharya, and Krishnamacharya is like the father of all vinyasa. Mm -hmm. He's he was the teacher to Angar and to Patavi Joyce. Mm -hmm. So um, these systems are coming down directly from his lineage, but then. The other way to get yoga knowledge is to be in the experiment of it yourself, mm -hmm. to be the discoverer of the yogic knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's very helpful to get the beneficial to get the, the teachings mm -hmm. as close to source as we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even from the research I've been doing, the scientifically they're showing that by so with breath retention specifically, what we're doing is we're we're making ourselves a little uncomfortable. Because we're changing the way that our body naturally wants to breathe, and we're slowly raising our level of CO2, mm -hmm. right? And so that the impulse of I need to take a breath is not because we don't have enough oxygen. Mm -hmm. It's because our carbon dioxide has started to elevate, and our body wants to expel it and wants to bring in more oxygen to match the levels of CO2 as well to try to bring in a balance. So what the research is showing is that if you sustain mild air hunger in these different techniques for eight to 12 minutes. That's when the pattern, uh, the respiratory pattern generator in the brainstem resets. Eight to 12 minutes. I think I've been doing that. If I do like eight rounds. Yeah, that's what I was I thinking. Think, yeah. I think that I've been doing about, it's about 10 minutes. Yeah. It really yeah. takes something out to get to my seat to do that every day. It's like mm -hmm. the first thing I'll avoid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my thought too with it is that one of the things that happens when we have a certain number in mind of hold the breath for this long in my experience it, it takes me out of my body because i get to that point of like hold hold i'm almost at 10 i'm almost at 10 and so then when i take my next inhale it is this like violent inhale mm. in. but if you have that goal in mind of you know i'm going to hold my breath until i feel the mild air hunger of my diaphragm starting to spasm maybe that's four seconds for some people that could be two seconds for some mm. people but that way it's actually accessible for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more of an embodied practice because you're doing it based on like, what am I noticing? And you might find that like this time I went to 10 and then it was a really violent inhale. 
So then it's, okay, mental note, next time I'm going to maybe go to eight or again, getting away from the numbers and just feeling, being in your body and feeling like, when does my body say breathe? Sure. Can I pause a little bit? And then when you take that breath in, it's that calm. I think it'd be really interesting to find the rhythm. There's a lot about the, um, so there's like always four parts to the breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot about the, the counts mm-hmm. in the ancient teachings mm-hmm. about the exhalation being twice as long as the inhalation mm-hmm. and the, the numbers that they're trying to get to mm-hmm. in those counts. Yeah. So there's a very, um, like there's a patterning of mm-hmm. you're, you're wanting to hit at those ratios. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's why they're using the metronome. Is yeah. Because I will tend to not hit the ratio. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think setting the metronome in a way that's really conducive to what what you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is like not taking that violent inhale, yeah, yeah. but maybe staying also on on path with the ratios. Right. So there's still a rhythm to it. Yeah, there's still a set rhythm. Well, to me, the, those ratios are they're set by people who have have done this practice for so long and have tapped into when you're at your optimal level. This is what the goal is. Mm-hmm. And and for me, as someone who struggled with mental health and you know continues to struggle with different issues. It's good to have that idea in mind of this is what I'm working towards, but then to be really clear with, well, where am I at right now so that I can be gentle and slowly work towards that. Because the other pattern that's come through the research is the 5.5 of inhale 5.5, exhale 5.5 with the goal of 5.5 breaths per minute and 5.5 liters of air per minute. But that's the other thing is that you could take a 5.5 second inhale that's... Right, versus it's like really slow, so that'd be a wave that's crusting really high. I'm taking in a lot of air for 5.5 seconds. That's vastly different than a slow, controlled inhale of 5.5 seconds, where maybe I'm not even hitting half the amount of air I would have brought in. So that the ratio and the timing is one piece, but then it's also that, well, how much air am I bringing in? Mm, so good. And I think, um, too, like, but you have to always remember when we're dealing with anything in, in the yoga grounds, the, the goal of these sages and these yogis was mm-hmm. um, some pretty lofty ambitions mm-hmm. around enlightenment and um, really freeing ourselves of, of ego, yeah. um, which I think isn't unrelated to the goal that we currently have around breathwork, but mm-hmm. maybe also, you know, is your work to calm and to right. stabilize, or is your work to um, levitate? Levitate. <laughs> in which case, you might be more interested in pushing yourself into some of those right. really uncomfortable scenarios. Yeah. And, and, and versus if your work is really to calm and, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think mm-hmm. the goal is always mm-hmm. um, yeah, part, of, part of the intention or part of the. Um, understanding where you're going. Yeah, that's a really good point. Impact. <laughs> <laughs> just an anxious person trying to calm down. Yeah, very specific breath techniques versus yeah. when you're at that level of like, how high can I get? Yeah, well, you really, if you're really going to start to work like Mubanda and like, you know, really try to get that creative energy to like move up the spine, mm-hmm. you're going to go into some territory that is like super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And where things are going to start happening in the body, like shaking, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be, um, it's a totally different, maybe, purpose. Or, yeah, totally. But it, it, it's amazing that the, the, the um, 
the studies and, and the science really once again coming back around to yoga. Mm -hmm. It's like it's really a cool. surprise. Yeah, me, but it's always like uh, because uh, pranayama was a huge part of yoga. Like a you know this wasn't for fitness. We didn't do yoga for fitness. right. It's not a cardio workout. Do yoga as a fitness thing. They really were. I'm trying to get somewhere with these practices. Mm -hmm. So pranayama was a huge part. Um, maybe for some yogis bigger than the asana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm. I feel like I'm circling back to that where I'm. Yeah, it's, I'm less focused on. Like I love to move. Movement's mm -hmm. a big part of my life, but you know the amount of movement I used to do has it's probably been cut in half, and it's being replaced with stillness and breathing. Mm -hmm. which feels so good yeah it really relieves a lot of the you know when you can get into it i found that I, i'm not as like i don't crave this much i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not as anxious um mm -hmm. even just a little bit of pranayama will like calm me right down it's amazing what kind of medicine we have in our bodies yeah and just fill you in and it's so simple such a simple thing so yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to, to know, and of course, science is studying um, these ancient practices mm -hmm. in a very updated and relevant way. So yeah. I was trying to levitate. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's really complicated when you get into that stuff. It's yeah. like, do this, then do this, then like circle your abdomen. It's like, it's really weird, right? Yeah. So maybe not that helpful for most people yeah yeah i had a, there's one practice that i've been doing where once you retain your breath the the cue is roll the breath around your lungs and chest and the first time i read that i was like what what does that mean how do i do that so i've been trying to practice that of like you have to be so subtle to feel your lungs full and be like now roll that breath around like you know it's it's the strangest sensation yeah i have I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I love it. As soon as I see something like that, it just gives me that next mm -hmm. level of like, oh, that's possible. That's mm -hmm. a thing I can do. Mm -hmm. Great. But yeah, let's try it. Why not? I know I'm immediately like, can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> no. I to get makes. access to the lungs as a muscle mm -hmm. in that way, mm -hmm. right? And like, it sounds like it would feel really good. It's like a challenge. Mm -hmm. That can be part of your. Part of my practice, no, yeah, roll that breath around your chest. Yeah, you said it like through the out of bondo, where they like roll it around, where it's like their abdomen like lifts and empties out, and all of that. And then you can watch it like do a wave side to side, and then it waves up and down. That's part of this, like those kriyas are all part of this pranayama. All of it is about lifting the energy up. This is why, um, you know, between me and the Creative primal sexual energies like lifting yeah. them up and and and, and um, you know connecting them to connecting mm -hmm. all of that energy in our brains and our hearts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, is what the world needs more of, right? I think some more individuals walking around being pretty blissed out couldn't hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know, and that takes me to you know I was reflecting back on we pull my paper here the the email I sent you a couple of weeks ago when I was proposing. You know what we could talk about mm -hmm. and i couldn't you know it wasn't in these exact words but it was very similar where i said you know i'm, I'm just really curious to sit with you and talk about how to practice staying open and being with what is uncomfortable in order to move past suppression racism numbness defensiveness 
into empowerment, vulnerability, and growth. And he responded with like, great, yeah, I'm glad we're going to keep it light. <laughs> and right after that, it was like, yeah, I'm all in. I would love to be able to dive into what makes me uncomfortable and and share some stories. And, and that's really why I wanted to talk to you about this, because you're someone that every conversation I've had with you, it's always just, it's the real stuff. You don't put a facade on of, you know, pretending like everything's okay. Because deep down, everything is always okay with you. And you're able to just speak to what's making you uncomfortable, what you're struggling with. And I, I just really admire that in you, that we can we can talk about anything. And I know we both walk away with like, that was cool. Yeah, well, I already looked and you're like, oh, okay, slow down the inhalation. Mm. Good. <laughs> I just, I'm always open for learning. Yeah. Um, so are we going to be talking about racism and Black Lives Matter? I would love to. Okay. Yeah. I've, there is something it's been in my mind, I have to say at the beginning of this conversation, yeah. we're going to have a conversation, that we're like two white women. Yeah. And we're going to have a conversation about racism and Black Lives Matter. And so I'm going to acknowledge that um, you know, maybe we're not, um, like, I certainly don't have the whole breadth of the issue. I certainly have experienced and lived within white privilege and mm -hmm. a lot of it to my unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to acknowledge that at the beginning of this conversation and um, just, just um, I, I think if people have, um, if anyone who listens to this wants to talk to me about an area during this conversation where I'm exhibiting bias mm -hmm. or white privilege. Um, I'm really open to that conversation. I'm really open to learning. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that's it. I just, I'm, I'm open to that um, kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and I'm, I'm just recognizing I'm probably going to fumble some so man. It, this is a hard conversation to have in a public way. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's dangerous territory right now. Yep. Um, and it's needed. It's needed, so I welcome it. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. That mm -hmm. I appreciate that. There will be some bias in this conversation. Yeah, and I can I can mirror that myself as well. That you know, from from the research and books that I'm listening to and reading and conversations I'm having. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because it's important that white people in their own communities talk about this, as well as talking to people of color, people of color talking together about it. Like this is something that we all need to be talking about in all of our different circles and communities. And, and likewise, I've been really awkward and been stumbling through this in a lot of ways and will say something or think something and in that moment be like, wow i'm so woke or like <laughs> you know <laughs> look at me figuring it out and then within the next breath or the next day something will become more clear and i'll be like fuck <laughs> there it is again whether it's a microaggression a completely blind bias and and so i also completely welcome the feedback and the conversation because i know that's a part of the learning process and and i'm at the point too where you know, yeah, I just want to learn so badly. And and I love when someone just kind of holds a mirror up to my face and says, look what you did or look what you said. Um, and there's always a way to do it in a way where people feel safe and, and comfortable. So it's not about attacking or showing people how how they're wrong, right? There's there's always something to learn on both sides of the conversation about how to engage in this way, in a way that makes us so more people are willing to engage in it. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm just really grateful that you're willing to step into this territory with me as we stumble our way through it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so all that having been said, what do you want to talk about? Mm, <laughs> I want to talk about why why it's so uncomfortable to talk about it and and what we can do what practices or conversations or resources we can look into um, to make it less uncomfortable or to get used to the uncomfortable nature of it. Uh, I want to talk about even, you know, stories or things that you and I have done in the past that we realized afterwards, like we messed up and how, how we learned from it and how, how we didn't allow it to be what shut us down for good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, I think I would be, um, at first, I want to um, mention a book, White Fragility, mm. that is quite popular right now, mm. but it's all about um, in how uncomfortable white people are in these conversations. <laughs> um, it's, it's a fairly popular book. I'm sure anybody who's done research into this. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that one yet, but it's yeah, on my list. It's on a lot of lists. Mm -hmm. um, so that one would be a good one for anybody looking for resources. Yeah. Um, as for stories, I had an interesting experience in um, as the Black Lives Matter movement began. Uh, I had a realization about something that I had done mm. over the course of owning my business um, that caused me to um, really assess who I was versus who I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm happy to share that story, um, and um, and and we can rip off of that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And you know, also, I, I think like I have to be like the yogi in me has to say like all of this is a conversation about dominance, um, like a microaggression is a dominance, and we are microaggressive in so many like mm -hmm. we. It, I'm like aggressive to my husband all the time. Like I try to like get him to do what I want. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> like so, so there's a you know we all have this um, ability and tendency as human beings with lizard brains, like the with fight or flight yeah. reactions, with um, the desire to control or to overpower in order to have control of our environment. Mm -hmm. This very animalistic tendency to dominate yeah. is within all of us. Yeah. And um, we're, we're really grappling with that in the context of um, maybe overusing or having access to tools um, as a result of our skin color mm -hmm. that uh, you know, is, is, is being revealed to us really unfair and unconscious even. Mm -hmm. And uh, great, another way that I'm unconscious of the way that my ego is operating me. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so it's such good, such good awareness to build, I think. And, um, and uh, the, the key to all of it for me has always been, I'm innocent of it. Just to make sure this is gone. Yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. it, it, so, you know, you, we are um, human beings in, with lizard brains that have fight flight responses. And I know, like, I'm talking very fast through this, and there's a lot of information out there about what causes fight or flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you're innocent of that experience. It's not your fault. You were somehow ended up on this planet in a human body with a tendency to go into fight, flight, or freeze. 
and then use dominance as a way to avoid going into fight, fight, or freeze. Right. That's mm -hmm. your innocence of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the best way to do all of this work and to understand how how I've been using dominance is to be like, okay, I've been doing that is for me to be like, and, and it's not my fault that I was born into a human body with these mechanisms that create a tendency in me to to try to dominate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, when I opened up the yoga studio, I had the idea to start um, a non-for-profit called Calgary Yoga Project. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, this. Yep. it's short-lived. Mm. This is the this is the short story of how it's short-lived. Okay. Um, and you know it's interesting because it's actually it was a group of us that decided to start Cognito Project. It was actually based on um, an organization called Africa Yoga Project, um, and I had met, mentored through Africa Yoga Project, uh, a black young man, male yoga teacher, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And developed a relationship, so we would like at the, in those days we would Skype, mm -hmm. but <laughs> um, we would Skype call and and talk about his life, and and he was trying to be a yoga teacher, and Panya and I was trying to be a yoga teacher in Calgary, and um, my donations would go to supporting him in um, providing free yoga classes to um, people in the slums in. Kenya. Mm -hmm. And so we all knew about this organization and we decided to start something called Calgary Yoga Project. We didn't really, we weren't very clear. So as with many of my ideas, it's like a great idea. Mm -hmm. And that's about as much as I thought about it. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, let's do it. We'll kind of learn along the way. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes I'm lucky and that works out. And sometimes what we learn is that we didn't set up a proper foundation or or mission for the vision. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is one of those cases. And um, add on to that the overwhelm I was going through with opening the studio and the cafe at the same time. And mm -hmm. um, I didn't, you know, it became a, an issue of what has to go so that I can survive um, in the long run. But along the way we did we started working with the indigenous people in the city mm -hmm. um and did different indigenous groups youth primarily um and providing yoga for them and developing relationships there um and so not it not with black lives but indigenous lives yeah. and communities which i would um i think there's an argument to just to mention that here is that in canada and in our city, the, the people really at risk might be also indigenous groups. Okay. And yeah. there's, a, there's a huge issue there and a huge mm -hmm. like, privilege thing going on there that's pretty systematic. Yeah, I don't have any answers about that. Yeah. But um but I, we see it. But I, I yeah. see it. I want to point to that that's yeah. that's very like very here. Yeah. Um and uh anyways, uh so it's getting busier and busier with the studio is to the point where I really didn't leave. Like between running the cafe and the studio, you're nodding because you remember oh, yeah. these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the building. So to drive across the city and do yoga with these years and, and really be gone for three hours was problematic. Yeah. So we decided to have them come to the studio. Mm -hmm. And the day that they come to the studio, the day that they're prepared to come to the studio, uh, they run a little late. And they arrive about 15 minutes, 20 minutes before 
a class starts, the first mm -hmm. evening class starts. Okay. And the idea was, well, since they're coming to the studio, we'll go into the cafe afterwards and they can have a snack and we'll hang out there. Um, and so they get to the studio and, um, well, the truth was, is I, I think some of them hadn't been, didn't have proper workout clothes. And some of them hadn't had, um, you know, clean workout clothes. And that would happen probably with any group of youth. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them were large, uh, like large males and, and um, might have even occurred as, as frightening. Like they were in their mid to late teens and some. Mm -hmm. And so because they arrive so late, as they leave the studio, there are people outside the studio waiting to get into the studio to take their class. Yeah. And a group of indigenous kids leave and and some of them have well aren't as clean as maybe they could be. Yeah. And um, there was such a it it was such a bad vibe. I I experienced such a bad vibe between the youth and the people outside the studio. Mm. It really um, I felt very uncomfortable. And I was and I was very concerned. I'm very concerned in that moment about trying to get my business profitable. Right. So they go to the cafe, I go hang out with them. We actually have a really good time. I, I enjoy them. Um, and I, I think they enjoyed some of the snacks. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, between that being a little bit late and also because of what I felt, which was a high level of discomfort, we canceled the program after that. Mm. Um, and what occurred for me in June when Black Lives Matter blew up, for lack of a better way of saying it, I mean, mm -hmm. was um, intense discomfort. And when I really looked, what I realized was that I had let these kids down. Mm -hmm. Like, we, they talk about allyship and that the first sign of discomfort at the first sign of it not being okay, I just like, I pulled the shoe and I was like, this is inconvenient. This, yeah, it was highly inconvenient. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was, um, I had to contend with, I had actually like, not only, like I, I as a yogi, had presented myself a certain way, was presenting myself a certain way, and um, really just hadn't lived up to that presentation. Mm -hmm. So that was difficult to, mm -hmm. to come to that. Um, and luckily, I had maintained the relationships with one of the girls who had been the organizer. So I called her and I apologized. I just said, um, I feel like I'm, I, I really feel like I didn't do what I should have done in that moment and through that situation. And, um, you know, is there anything I can do to kind of, kind of make it up to you guys? Like, um, and, and so we've arranged some, some other yoga with a different group that she's now involved with. Um, you know, and so 
mean, I don't know if I feel better about myself. Like, I, I'm not trying to say, like, and now I feel better. I am just acknowledging that, like, mm-hmm. the pathway forward was actually just through apologizing. Um, and sitting, sitting with it, mm-hmm. right? Because to me, that's, that's been the biggest lesson in all of this is that you can't fix it in one moment. You know, this is huge. This is not about individuals. This is about a system that we're born into and that, you know, as Ibram X. Kendi says, it's it's like racism and racist ideas are being rained down on our heads all day long. And in his analogy, he says, you know, most people don't even know that they're wet. Mm-hmm. You know, until someone is like, hey, you're wet, here's an umbrella. And then, then you can start doing the work to dry yourself off and recognize how much is raining down on your head. But it's to really, once your eyes are open to that rain and to how wet you are, it is uncomfortable and painful. And I can see why so many people, including myself for a long time, would feel it and then go like, oh, that's too much. I'm gonna go watch this show now, or you know, I'm gonna drink this wine or smoke this doobie and all is good in, in my world again, because I have the privilege of, of stepping in and out of that that world of brutality and oppression. And for me, with Black Lives Matter this round, it part of my shame was was the acknowledgement of like, I am aware of this and I have felt fired up about this before. Where did that go? Like, why did I, why am I surprised by this again? Like, you know, to, to be like, I don't know this was still happening. Like there was a lot of shame of how, how easy it was for me. And maybe easy is not the right word, but how I was able to just dip my toes in when it was, you know, alive and in your face. And then as soon as it went down, it was like, oh, not my problem anymore. And so that was my shame of recognizing that I need to be willing to stay in it. I can't turn a blind eye again. Like I need to keep learning. I need to keep talking about it because I unfortunately have the privilege of being able to turn away from it. And I'm just not willing to do that anymore. So what does it look like to not turn away from it? Mm-hmm. What, what does it really look like to, to be in it and to be with it? And can we even, can we even? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of it is that is all the research and the conversations that we have, I don't think we can ever actually fully understand it in the same way as people who are living it every single day. And that's, I think that's an important part of this process is that, you know, I I will never get to the point where I'm like, oh, I fully get it. Like, I know your pain. You know, I can, I can imagine that I know your pain. I know what pain is and I know what it is to feel uncomfortable, but I can't, I can't actually fully put myself in that world and understand what it's like because that's not my reality. So for me, it's about, you know, I was talking to my friend Yemi um, yesterday, and she'll be on the podcast for next week, uh, or I guess once this is out, it's last week. What she was saying is like, you know, this is not about, oh, you read a book, good for you. You know, like, you did it. You know, it's about staying in it mm-hmm. and to keep researching, keep learning, keep opening yourself up. You know, because I have had those moments of like, almost wanting to text Yemi and be like, Yemi, look at this book that I'm reading right now. Like, why do I feel the need to get her acknowledgement that I'm doing the simple work of actually just keeping my eyes open 
to stuff that's real for so many people in this world, right? It's it's not about the accolades of, again, like back to what I said at the beginning of those moments of like, look how woke I am. Like that's part of the problem, right? Part of this we will never be able to grasp as white people in society, and that's okay. But one of the other things that I'm, I'm really recognizing and I'm listening to a book right now called um, So You Want to Talk About Race. And one of the things that she says is that you know, nothing, it's very rare that something is just a race problem. It's complex, right? And so this is about acknowledging that it's a race problem, it's a class problem, it's a societal problem, it's a cultural problem, it's a gender problem, and that all of those things are happening. And that when we're talking about race, we need to give our full attention to it. And if somebody of color says this is about race, and I don't see it that way, I need to just go with what they say and trust. Like, if you say this is about race, then it's about race, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to learn. It's not about me acknowledging or seeing that it's about race. It's actually about listening, and just if someone says it's about race and they're a person of color, then that's exactly what it's about. And one of the other things she says is that, you know, when we get into these conversations where someone's bringing up something about race, and then we get into that defensive mode, or like, but what about these people? Or like, but what about this? Or like, I'm, I'm a woman. Like, you know, I'm... I receive oppression as well. And, and you know, if you're in a conversation like that, what she said is like, you know, acknowledge them and be like, yeah, you're right. Like, that must be really hard. So it's not what we're talking about. Like, that's a separate issue. We're talking about race right now. If you want to talk about gender after, then let's go there. But I think that's part of the problem is that we start comparing or, you know, you tell me about your hardship and, and I go, well, I, I, experience hard things too. Why is your hard stuff harder than mine? But to recognize it's different and we need to hold space for people. If they say they're struggling with something, they're experiencing something, I need to just believe and trust and listen. Because if I'm denying their reality, then what right do I have to say that my reality is more real than theirs? Right? It's There's differences there. Yeah, that um, white fragility is a lot about, you know, the way that we defend against seeing mm. how we're how we're a part of something and, and you know deflecting and bringing mm-hmm. up it of, of how we're also victims is a is a great way that we avoid mm. um taking taking on that we might be part of the problem mm-hmm. or at least unaware and part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And you know my yogi like my yogi part um, always pops in around this time and says, again, this is the human condition. And um, the human condition is to, if, if, if we really look, if we really believe that we were um, evolved from animals, mm-hmm. we really believe that we have um, these responses and that they're part of our physiology around fight, flight, freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really you go observe a lizard, like really try to dominate. And it's like, if he makes himself big, tries to take over territory, um, they, it does a bunch of stuff that human beings are still pretty involved in doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and so there's um, unconscious cues that we pick up in our, in our world that are systemically built into our world um, is like color. And we decide where the dominance is mm-hmm. in our 
kind of in our lizard brain mm-hmm. is how I have it. Now, how that doesn't make me unaccountable, it makes me highly accountable or, or want to be highly accountable for um, the ways that I do that. Just like I'm highly want to be highly accountable for the ways that my ego is always operating me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I believe that um, in order for me to really be able to look at it and to sit with it, I have to see the separation between who I want to be at my highest and who I actually am most of the time. Mm-hmm. As a result of dealing with this really complicated um, infrastructure of, of body and mind and, and evolution mm-hmm. that I find myself in. I mean, like, we have language um and and we are the only species on the planet to our knowledge that has language and and really um we if you believe in evolution um that, that's a pretty recent discovery mm-hmm. and so being able to communicate be like i'm dominating you and that's not okay mm-hmm. is like whoa that's actually kind of amazing yeah. that we're at that spot in humanity and in on this earth mm-hmm. um so I, I'm, I'm proud of us humans for entertaining that conversation and i think it can really um if, if there's some awareness that we can get and and you know resolve the hurts that have been um that, that have occurred as, as a result of our behavior um and, and we can really um expand this conversation to something that could be Oh, like totally transformative for the planet and for yeah. humanity. I mean, but that's like me and my visionary, <laughs> uh, like idealistic. And then we'll all be in love. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we will. That'll be a nice day. Yeah. You know, one of the speaking of white fragility, this was another. You know, I talk often about. You know, you can know something, you can know the theory of it, but it's you need to experience it to really understand. And that's something we were all talking about earlier. But one of the things that I experienced uh, in the last couple months was again knowing I even posted an article about you know white women sitting through tears and it was because I was crying so much and and reading and researching about how you know that's that's not what's needed right now and that what what that's really about is is you know this defensive mechanism and 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 this kind of flailing a little bit of this insecurity and um, and I can be a very overly empathetic person to a fault. And, and so I knew, you know, I was very unstable. I was crying so much about this and feeling it so much that I knew like I'm not functioning, I'm not being helpful. But I also kind of was trusting it of just something's releasing. I'm letting myself feel something that I haven't really allowed myself to feel. And it sucks, it hurts, and I'm it's taking a lot of tears. So I started putting myself into environments and workshops that were specifically about um, Black Lives Matter and oppression and injustice, and and I was terribly uncomfortable. And, and there was one specifically that's part of East Point Academy. It's a beautiful platform online where they host these these gatherings on Zoom that are are free. They just ask for donations to help continue this this community growing. And they had a man on, um, Victor Lee Lewis, who is a, oh, he's just such a, an amazing man. He called himself an, an, uh, an optimistic, uh, oh shoot. He, like he, he's big for, for justice, for social justice and, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm going to butcher his, I should have written this out, but he's just a lovely man. He's able to talk about this stuff, but with a positive light. So he goes into what's wrong with the world and what he's seeing, but he always comes back to this hopefulness and this big, beautiful smile, like he's all love. And, and so after listening to him talk, they then broke us up into little groups to discuss what stood out to us. And for me in that moment, I was like, oh my God, um, I wanted to just disconnect and, and shut down my laptop. And the guy even mentioned at that moment, he said, if you find yourself in a group and you're the only one there, that it's because often people bow out at this point. And he said, and don't worry if, if that happens, I'll find and I'll put you in another group. So the fact that he said that, I was just like, oh, I'm not gonna be one of those people. I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to feel what I'm feeling. And, and so I found myself in a group with three other women. And we started by going around and just kind of sharing who we are and, and initially what stood out to us. And, and as soon as it was my turn, I just started crying. <laughs> and I said something along the lines of, I just feel embarrassed and ashamed because until a few months ago, I just didn't realize that this was still happening and part of that was true but it also wasn't like i am aware of this i just was kind of dipping in and out of being aware of it but saying that and then just crying and these women just you know they were looking at me with love it was it was really beautiful for them to just hold me in that while i still had this story of like here i am I was the there was one other white woman in the group but i you know to me the story was like here i am this white woman crying as I'm learning about injustice and I'm the one who feels like I need to be the one who's saved in this moment. And I really got into my head about it and, and felt a lot of shame and embarrassment. And, but again, at the same time, because they, they all just, I don't know what's going on in their heads, but they, they just loved me and they thanked me for being here and for listening and for trying. And it was healing for me to be seen and to know deep down, like, this is not helpful. I want to be able to talk about actually what came up instead of, I just felt that again, that flailing of like, help me, I don't know how to do it. Uh, but it was after that to be able to reflect on it and see the story I had made up and, and to just recognize that I need to be more stable in these conversations if I'm going to actually start pushing the needle forward instead of getting into it and then just crumbling from my own insecurity and discomfort so it wasn't technically productive in that moment but it was exactly what i needed to go through so that all these things i've been reading about how that's a problem i needed to experience and go through it and now i'm at the other end where you know even if i do start crying talking about it it's not the flailing of i don't know what to do it's just i'm just a feeler and i cry and that's okay <laughs> i think it's so important to have your emotions it, like the there's a process we're all going through and um i don't ever think we're pressing emotions i mean you know white women say their tears i get it they get like the sentiment there it doesn't mean like, don't cry if you feel like crying i'm sure yeah. the author would be like it's not what i meant i'm sure they would feel like cry if you need to cry get mm -hmm. it out because it's like emotional expression if it's not expressed it's repressed and if it's right. repressed it's still with you so yeah. um i think like what you're saying is really wise like now you're able to have these conversations and, and hold your center mm -hmm. as you have these conversations mm -hmm. um and um that 
sometimes the only way to learn to do that is to practice it. Yeah. And in the beginning of practicing something like that, it can feel intensely uncomfortable, especially where it's emotional. So mm-hmm. I, I acknowledge you for getting to the to the point where you can hold yourself in these conversations. I, mm-hmm. I, um, I think it's and another part too is that um, what I think there's an acknowledgement in the ether that this is systemic. Mm-hmm. And just as you are a in the situation now, um, it's it's really this is this is the where I'm going to try to explain this really clearly because it, again it, it gets a little bit yogic, but um, there's a systemic thing happening. Just like you're in your body and you are at the result of or at the cause of being in your body and dealing with the physiologic reality of having evolved from animals mm-hmm. that seek to dominate. Um, and, and so there's also a system that's been built on all of that. And and we're involved in that system. And where I think the line that um, I try to walk with that is that I'm not a victim of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a victim of the system. I'm not a victim of being in this weird physiology that doesn't always serve my highest intention. Yeah. I'm not a victim, but I am responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So like I I it is my reality. It's the reality I choose to wake up in every day. And if I actually didn't want to be a part of this reality, I could end it. We all could. Mm-hmm. And since I don't choose to do that. Since I, there are many aspects of my life I enjoy. Um, since I don't choose to do that, I hope nobody else does. <laughs> but I choose to be part of the world. That means I choose everything about this world. Mm-hmm. I choose my physiology. I choose the systems that I'm in. And since I choose them, I'm responsible for how I behave within them. And I'm responsible for what I'm creating. And I'm responsible to try to make changes where changes can be made. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, where the tears can come, where the feeling at a loss can come is when that whole, when that gets confused. And I feel, you know, as I have many times, oh, I'm like, this is unfair. I don't know what to do. And I'm scared. And I feel a victim to these circumstances. And and I think that that can come up for anyone dealing with this conversation, Black, White, um, Indigenous, um, male, female, anyone can feel in the middle of this conversation as though they are the victim or a victim of this situation. And um, and that sort of a mentality is just never productive. Mm-hmm. So I think getting to a point where we can all just be like, okay, this is how it is. What can I be responsible for here? How can I take action that moves us forward positively? And sometimes action is being made aware that I'm ignoring something. Mm-hmm. And that is like, of course, I'm ignoring something. I ignore a lot of things because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's also part of being a human. And thank you for making me aware of the ignoring stuff. Yeah. And I, I ignore, you know, like truth, like truth is the, the scariest, hardest thing. People will do a lot to avoid the truth. Mm-hmm. Most of humanity's problems are probably because we're trying to avoid the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but once I know the truth, then clear right action becomes available. Mm-hmm. That's being responsible. 
Yeah, I love the way that you put that together. You know, and, and to me, when I think about the times that I've been fearful of the truth, part of that is because once once you see things more clearly, you see the truth, that also that responsibility piece of right action does come into place. And so part of it is, you know, ignoring it because I'm not ready to make a change yet. But as soon as you actually see it, and then it comes with that that motivation, that energy of like, now I need to do something. And that can be a really confusing place as well. Of, well, what do I do? Like, what can I do? You know, and, and that's, to me, again, that concept of flailing can come up again because there's so many suggestions and resources and, you know, things that we, sh I don't want to say should, but things that we can be doing. And it, it can be difficult to understand, well, which, where do I start? What's the, the best way? And, you know, when I have talked about this with, with people of color and, and getting more clear on, you know, because I've, I've heard that dichotomy of, um, well, the healing needs to happen in the white communities. There needs to be a little bit of a separation where there's not, you know, white people coming into these communities and being like, educate me. What should I do? You know, because they're, they're so past that. Like, people of color, are, are, for the most part, they're in right action now. They're you know, there's fire, there's passion there, and they don't have time or space or patience to be like, here, I'll show you, I'll show you the ropes, you know, it, that's, that's our work. And, and so to me, that was the, the clear point of finding that stability, doing the inner work, getting the tears out, <laughs> you know, so that I could really figure out, uh, start educating myself, start looking up resources on my, on my own, start really opening myself up to this so that when I start stepping into these communities where people are in action, I'm ready to go. Right. And I think that's really for anyone who's struggling with what's the next step, it's just start reading, start educating yourself, stay open, you know, get, get used to the uncomfortable nature because it's, it's not uncomfortable because it's, it's a hard conversation. It's uncomfortable because this is the reality. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. Um, the education and um, exploration are, if there is, um, it, being up in our heads about what to do is not the path, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. and, and reading and learning and engaging, like, you know, there's, I mean, being at a Zoom call that's like a platform for people to understand um, and what a wonderful thing to take part of and mm -hmm. um, uh, take part in and um, feeling like it's all on us or on any one individual to have a solution is like, well, that's a little egoic too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like that's a, I think um, getting to where we're where really, um, developing a genuine interest and desire to move the world and your community forward uh, through this mm -hmm. and really concretely asking, well, what can I do and what can I be a part of? Um, and especially if, if like you're a newbie, like I am a newbie to this also, like I, I was a newbie when I decided to do Kaguya Yoga Project and didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a newbie in any kind of, you know, adventure, like we're doing a, um, uh, fall equinox events, Celeste and I at this right, yeah. and mm -hmm. um, and we're having an indigenous woman there to bless the ground and to mm -hmm. acknowledge that um, you know what ground we are standing on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I have a desire to start a relationship with this woman, like to 
to get to know her and to understand like how because I've seen her bless grounds before it was beautiful so spiritual and and um this is like she just created this um really beautiful moment that I was like I want to learn from that person mm. and so you know trusting too where you get drawn to mm-hmm. as if you're if you're I think if you're genuinely in the question of how can I serve and how can I help the the genuine path will be made available and I don't think any one person has to have the solution mm-hmm. or know the answer and I, I and you know you don't want to be the new guy that starts at the office and knows how they're going to fix like, everything <laughs> going on like you get to move. like nobody likes that guy right he isn't even doesn't even know what's going on <laughs> it's read some things, mm-hmm. figure out how this is already working. Yeah. Make friends with some people further down the path. Mm-hmm. And um and really <laughs> tap into what you might do. Such like, a beautiful analogy. I love that you said that. <laughs> I've got the answers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good point. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and sometimes I, I feel like talking it out is like so beneficial. Because mm-hmm. my I haven't been paying a lot of attention to those issues and um you know, needing to reopen the business this fall and, and being pretty involved in mm-hmm. my hours are pretty um tight. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that my attention getting drawn back here where you know there is a world that's bigger than me and my concerns mm-hmm. uh, that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all a lot though. It is, yeah. It can be overwhelming at times. But you know, and then I come back to that concept of Sponda of, of even you know, the way that you just talked about your your world of, you know, your business and what you're doing. And of course, we need to be investing time and attention there. And then the occasional expanding out to, to really feel what's going on culturally, what's going on in the world, what's going on with my brothers and sisters around the world. And then we need to come back to center and come back to our home. And, and I think for me, that's the important reminder as well, because over the last six months, I've been I've been pretty intense because I've I like I expanded out and then I held it there, and it was rough and I was sick to my stomach and you know just again getting into that place where like this isn't helpful either. It's not helpful either. You can't help anyone before you mm-hmm. are in a good place. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think right action and 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 service like high service comes from integrating everything and then being really in integrity yourself and mm-hmm. then and then being able to discern right action because we only have so much time and um you know that doesn't mean taking our eyes off of issues um you know or but i think going into that expansion learning what you learn and then coming back home and integrating that yeah. information and, and having it be a part of your day. Um, and and I, I believe the universe puts our path in front of us. And, and you know, if there's a desire and, and um, a, a burning in you, which there obviously is, if you wouldn't have spent so much time mm-hmm. in, in this um, inquiry mm-hmm. of what's going on here, um, then, then you will, you will find a path to be of service mm-hmm. and to, to help shift and change things, I believe. Because mm-hmm. that's it. Once that's away, um, 
I don't think it ever goes away. Not if you're in integrity. Mm -hmm. You stay in integrity. Once that's away, there's that there's going to be a call. Mm -hmm. Call to action. Mm -hmm. A call or a path. Yeah. Sign a person. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That feels good. <laughs> yeah, I think we made it through. Yeah. I don't know, like I guess if who knows what I've said that is um unknowingly um privileged mm -hmm. in this conversation, but I'm I'm happy to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Um because I, I don't know. I I am always happy to be awake more awake and I understand truth is hard. Mm -hmm. I um that is the, the, I think, one of the hardest things about being human is just mm -hmm. truth. So um, if there's truth for me to know as a result of engaging in this conversation, I just am way wide open to it. And um, I'm open to people who have thoughts about um, what paths I can take. Um, you know, I'm, I, I feel more about the Indigenous communities in, in um, Alberta, mm -hmm. more of a need um, that I see, that I'm aware of, mm -hmm. um, and and maybe more obvious pathways, then I, I would be very happy to understand that about any race or nationality, especially Black lives. And, and um, you know, I know that I have friends that made me aware of things that have happened to them in our community in Calgary, mm -hmm. um, you know, professionally, and uh, things that were said to them. And, um, during this time, and I was shocked to know that that's um, that that out there, that verbally expressed. Um, so, you know, anybody who has thoughts on how, as a yoga studio, I can be of service during this time, I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations and try to put things into action and try to do that with the foundation that something can continue and to, can work and can grow. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, conversation with you. Is there anything else coming up or does that feel feel complete? Feels pretty complete. I'm gonna grab a matcha latte and head home for get back on my computer and get the fall schedule together. Yeah, so great. people can um, come to the studio lots and warm up do some mm -hmm. high yoga. Yeah, I know the number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so good. Well, I'll, yeah, good. I'll uh, obviously put your information and contact info website mm -hmm. um, and any of the resources we spoke about today. I'll, I'll add in the show notes as well for easy access. Um, yeah, and we'll just keep having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for having this conversation, Marion, for being at top of mind for all of us. It's so important. <laughs> Thank you. Super right here. Yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it. <I'm> <laughs> Check. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, see you later. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on social media at Dopamine. That's D-O-P-E-A-M-E, or on my website under that same title, Dopamine.com. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it and do not hesitate to reach out if you have questions or comments. I would love to hear what you want to learn more about. So until next time, love big and play big. Peace.